RP3 is ready to step his game up and grab the mic for the latest edition of the Rap Game Podcast. Here is Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The NFL draft is going to be here in no time flat, but it will be a different situation, different event than even last year's, which was impacted by COVID-19, because this year, no East-West Shrine game. It went virtual. No combine as we've always come to know it. There'll be more of a reliance on pro days and more of a reliance on the evaluation and the scouting that took place in Mobile last week for the Reese's Senior Bowl. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of the Rap Game Podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Parch III, and joining me on this episode of the Rap Game Podcast, this Senior Bowl edition, if you will, is one of the best in the business. You know him for the Locked on Saints podcast. It's the one and only Ross Jackson. Ross, good day to you, my friend. How you doing? Have you recovered from your week-long vacation in Mobile? Hey, brother. Always glad to be here with you, man. Thanks so much for having me on the Rap Game. This is pretty dope, man. I'm excited to, excited to do this with you. Um, I'm still recovered. I think I can use one more good night of sleep. You know what I'm saying? I get one more in. <laughs> oh, I can. Uh, I understand that, brother. And, and uh, unlike uh, myself, you actually eat healthy and take care of yourself. You didn't make sure to spend time trying to get Krispy Kreme and Dreamland barbecue while you were in Mobile. <laughs> so, so you're you're doing far better than I am. Um, let's start off with uh, something I think is important: is just how good of a job Jim Nagy and his staff did this year being able to put on this NFL showcase this all-star game for college football players in the midst of a pandemic I had reservations whether or not they would be able to do it and man I'm not going to lie to you Ross I was immensely impressed coming away from what I saw at practice and during the game and what they were able to do yeah absolutely no I I feel the same way it was a really great event to be able to be a part of first of all to be able to experience an event like that in the times that we're in that just felt as in as sort of abnormal as it was. It still felt like a sense of normalcy to be back in a football stadium and, and, and to have that happening live football in front of you. So that was a really nice experience. But to have that done safely and successfully, Jim Nagy, Dave Rogers, all those uh, the, the staffers, everybody that was there, the staffers that were running around for three hours at night trying to find prospects and hand them a cell phone so that they could talk to media like, all of them out there just hustling and putting together a great safe event for everybody that was really enjoyable despite how different it was it was different um we had to practice social distancing um we did have access to be on the field talking to the players afterwards like typically mm-hmm. we have done in years past uh but, but they, they went above and beyond you know we, we pulled together uh, you and i kind of uh, tag teamed mm-hmm. interviews for each other because they would give us four right. guys after each practice and they would put all of our recording devices in a plastic bin collect them disinfect them and then put them in front of the player in front of a microphone and then we would just essentially kind of shout questions from the stands um even with that, and even with having to request interviews via email, and, and I didn't get any myself, but I knew they were getting anywhere between 550 to like 600 requests, media requests right. per day, Ross. So yeah. to be able to even pull this off with all the restrictions and everything going on and the fact that so many media members did not come and had to do things remotely and do things virtually – Ah man, I just I, I walked away Saturday, leaving uh, Hancock Whitney Stadium, going, 
wow, uh, I can only imagine what this is going to look like next year when they kind of hopefully return to some normalcy and just how uh, over the top it's going to be the experience. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be an absolute party next year. There's absolutely no doubt about that. Ross, let's talk a little bit about the importance of the Senior Bowl this year because in years past, there's the East-West Shrine game and the Senior Bowl, and then there's all the pro days. And then, of course, there's what we like to refer to as the Underwear Olympics up in Indianapolis, the NFL Scouting Combine. And it's all part of a very thorough draft process for the majority of the teams. This gives them the opportunity to evaluate the talent, get them in-house, in their place, work them out, see what they do, see what type of answers they provide to maybe some hard, difficult, challenging questions, see what their mental makeup is, the whole nine yards. And some of it is silly, but some of it does go to the process of evaluating talent like the Saints, like the Eagles, like other really well-run franchises have done by building up through the draft. But all that's kind of gone except for the Senior Bowl this year. Just how important was it for these players that were able to be invited but then accepted the invite and were able to come to Mobile for the week? How important was it for them to be able to play ball at the next level to take part in this? Yeah, I think this was incredibly important for them. I mean, it was an opportunity to meet with all 32 of these teams, an opportunity for the teams to actually get to talk to these guys a little bit more kind of personally as opposed to via Zoom call and all these other things where you're not really picking up the energy, the feelings, uh, maybe the you know the, the evaluation that you really want to get of what it's like to be around and talk to a guy in, in this scenario. And so they were able to take advantage of that. These, uh, these, these participants as well, the invitees that were playing, they also got – some of the off-field stuff too. They got, you know, financial literacy courses, financial planning courses, and they got to talk to uh, senior bowl alumni. Like uh, Tyree Matthew was a part of that. They also got a chance to talk to guys like Jeremy Chin and Aeneas Williams, and so they talked to all these guys that got an opportunity to sort of ask questions about, you know, what it was like transitioning into the NFL, uh, even if they weren't a part of the senior bowl, just like what it was, uh, what it was like going from college to the pros. All these other questions. Everything. So all of that was vastly important, but then it was also extremely important because you had, for the one and only time, really, this offseason, the opportunity with no other football happening, with nothing else taking attention away from these players, for them to go out on the field and show these NFL franchises something in person. They were there at the practices. They were there for the game. They got to see improvement over the course of a week. They got to see them take coaching from another NFL coaching staff. They got to work these these uh, players did with NFL coaching staffs with the Carolina Panthers, Matt Rule and company, and then Brian Flores and the Miami Dolphins coaching staff. Just a, an enormous opportunity for both from both the player side as well as the franchise side, the organizational side for the NFL teams that were present. A really great opportunity to be able to do it. And as you mentioned, really important because there's not another opportunity for that to happen so far as we look at how the offseason is currently laid out to play out. Ross, let's talk about guys that really stood out to the both of us. You were uh, there the entire early part of the week. You were there for the uh, all the practices. I came for the last day of practice on Thursday that was open to the media, and then I attended the game. And the game, I, I always tell people this when it comes to the Senior Bowl, you really can't take that much from the game. I know Kellen Mond had a good second half and was named the MVP, and you know that's a great feather in his cap. But the game is just different. It's a different feel. It seemed like to me 
as someone who attended both practice and the game, the practices were a little bit more intense. The practices flowed a little bit better than the actual game. So it's really during the practice that they impress the coaches that are, are part of these coaching staffs. This year was the Dolphins and the Panthers, but also all the scouts and attendants, right? The more, the more important portion of Senior Bowl week is the actual practices, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at the game and try to take the game in a vacuum as an evaluating tool, you're watching all of these players play, you know, uh, with unfamiliar teammates against unfamiliar opponents with an unfamiliar playbook that they were handed a week before. That's very, very tough. You do start to learn a little bit about the smarts of a player based on how quickly they can adjust to that playbook, but you really learn more about traits scouting, all of those things, along with other intangibles like intelligence and football IQ and expedience and picking up new things during the practice week because you're consistently watching these guys be asked to adjust, be given adjustments, asked to change, and then you're watching them go through it. I mean, it, it, it's a really, really key evaluating tool to see how do these guys practice. Do they practice full speed? Do they take reps off? Do they not with their motor like for a two-hour practice where they're going in and in and in? What do they look like all throughout this entire process, and how does it change on a day-to-day basis? That evaluation tool of the practices is really, really more important than what you see just in the game, which you know you see these guys get a, you know, a handful of reps sometimes here and there in a senior bowl game. You get to see a lot more exposure for these players during the practice week. All right, Ross, let's talk about some guys that stood out uh, to us now. And I'm going to start with some of the guys that I found that really kind of popped off the field, so to speak, there at Hancock-Whitney Stadium during Thursday's practice because that was the last day of practice open to the media. But that was the first one I attended. And I'm going to start off with, oh, how about Frank Darby, the wide receiver out of Arizona State? I, I know talking to people, his stats in his career with the, the Sun Devils doesn't necessarily wow you. Uh, there was other talented guys that have been able to move on to the pros, but this cat, he just impressed me. He caught touchdown passes during the red zone offense drills on Thursday from both Ian Book and Sam Ellinger, uh, and his best catch was uh, from Book, which he held on to the catch after being hit hard by a linebacker and then fought to get into the end zone. I saw grit. I saw toughness i saw a guy that has great hands and can separate against bigger defenders what about you yeah no i completely agree the other thing i really love about frank darby was his energy you know we talked a little oh, yeah. bit about you know when you're when you're evaluating these guys in practice are they taking reps up frank darby never took a rep off any rep he got he was 150 miles an hour 150 percent effort all the time and that was something that i really loved watching him i mean you can see the stats you know, in 2020, he only appeared in two games, six catches for 46 yards, like you mentioned, not impressive. But you can see a glimmer of what you would get from him over the course of his sample size in 2019 where he was paired up with a guy like Brandon Ayuk, who, of course, was drafted in the first round last year, where he averaged 19.9 yards per catch over 31 catches, a much larger sample size there, and catching eight touchdowns and all that. So he's a big play guy, and you certainly saw that translate on the field throughout practices in Mobile, and again, just getting a glimpse of him, seeing what he looked like in person, his explosiveness, his ability to create separation, his physicality, his energy, all of that, those are the traits that you're looking for, and he definitely put them all on display. I'll tell you another wide receiver that stood out to me, and a guy that you're really high on, and I got to listen to an interview after practice was 
uh, Kadarius Tony uh, out of Florida. Uh, he, look, of all the guys that played that I saw Thursday practice, and some of those guys didn't play in, in Saturday's game, but the guy that just popped off the field to me that looked like a guy that was could be playing on Sundays already, it, it, it was Tony. The quickness, the lateral quickness, that opening two-minute drill of offense uh, during practice on Thursday – I mean, he hauled in two quick passes from Alabama's Mac Jones and did so while being covered. He looks like a guy that's ready to play on Sunday right now. Yeah, absolutely. He's he's a guy that might end up working his way earlier into the first round at this point. He's done a really, really good job raising his own stock and in terms of what he's been able to put on display at the Senior Bowl. And whatever version of a pro day he gets and whatever numbers come from that will hopefully help to boost that as well. He's one of those guys where if he runs a sub four five forty, then all of a sudden he's a lock in first round consideration for a lot of experts, and they're just waiting to see what that time is going to look like if we get those official times from those pro days. So he was somebody that really impressed me as well. I was really looking forward to seeing him going in. Uh, his ability to just burst off the line of scrimmage to explode right away. He was immediately putting people on their back foot that were lined up or their back feet, excuse me, uh, that were lined up across from him. He, he, he just takes you by surprise. You know he's good. You know he's going to be outstanding. But still, when you see him and you see it translated to reality, it takes you by surprise, and he's able to take advantage of that. I want to stay on the offensive side of the football, and I want to talk about another wide receiver. Uh, but this is from a smaller school, South Dakota State's Kay Johnson, Ross. And, look, this cat – routinely won his one-on-one matchups with players from the FBS level. He caught two touchdowns during the red zone drills on Thursday. And the move that he put on Oklahoma's Trey Northwood and the way he was able to kind of body him to get into position to catch a touchdown, that stood out to me. For, for me, it's it's about the matchups. And when you go up against a guy who is a highly touted blue-chip prospect out of high school, he goes to a major program, and you're able to beat him one-on-one multiple times, that stands out to me, brother. Yeah, absolutely. And seeing the bunch of different ways that he was able to win because he created separation like nobody else on that senior bowl, stay on that senior bowl field, but also – has the wherewithal and the physicality to be able to box out and try to go up and, and fight for a 50-50 ball. So you saw a little bit of everything from Kay Johnson. And this is one of the things that I love about the Senior Bowl is we got to see a guy like South Dakota State University wide receiver who usually is going to be sort of knocked in the draft because of his level of competition go up against those blue-chip guys, like you just said. I mean, you get to see them go up against the level of competition that is the absolute best. This is an all-star game. These guys are here for a reason. And so to be able to see K. Johnson come out of a small school like that and then impress the way that he did consistently all through his week at the Senior Bowl, he's really somebody that put himself on the map. And the last offensive player that I want to ask you about is John Bates, the tight end out of Boise State. He looks the part. And, and oh, yeah. if when you see him, when I saw him, I go, oh, that that's a guy, that that's an NFL tight end the way he carries himself, the way he gets off the line of scrimmage, and the way that he just runs his routes very clean. It's not, There's nothing flashy about Bates, right? He's got the size, he's got the frame, but he's not flashy. He, But there he is. He runs his route. He gets behind his DB. He's there. He can catch the ball low. He can catch the ball high. He caught it from all three different quarterbacks, and they were wildly inconsistent, especially on that the, the Thursday practice. Uh, what were your takeaways of the Boise State tight end? 
Yeah, I mean, at six foot six, six foot five, he was somebody that reminded me of a guy that came out not too long ago, Dawson Knox from uh, from Mississippi, who was severely underutilized, didn't catch a touchdown pass at all in uh, his time. You've seen John Bates catch only two touchdowns with Boise State, one in 2018, one in 2019, and not really you know excel enormously as a receiver. He had a fairly nice 2019, but still only got the opportunity to catch 22 passes in that in that season so now you've seen him sort of jump out in the senior bowl as a receiving threat while also putting some film out there that he could be a good blocker he looks like he's one of those guys that you know i don't want to draw too many comparisons here but you know adam troutman who the new orleans Saints just drafted one of the big things that they saw from him in the senior bowl was his ability to be a blocker and they wanted to be able to build on top of that we knew his ability at Dayton as a receiver. You're sort of flipping the script a bit for John Bates, who proved himself as a pretty consistent blocker with Boise State, but then now has gotten an opportunity to go out there and show another element of his game as a receiver in Mobile. Got to talk about Elijah Mitchell, running back for here for the Raging Cajuns, right in our own backyard, right down the road, Ross. And I, I thought he did a nice job of doing all the little things. And, and what I mean by that is mm-hmm. when I watch him practice, he showed off multiple skills, catching a screen pass on a broken play from Kellen Mond, then catching the two-point conversion from Mond, then rushing for a touchdown during practice. And what really caught my attention was he's he's got to improve on his pass blocking, which is something that can be taught. And I feel like he's probably was underutilized with his hands in college. But the thing that that really stood out to me, the, the, the kind of signature moment for Elijah at the Senior Bowl was, it's on punt coverage, and he's serving as a blocker, and he pushed mm-hmm. back Houston linebacker Grant Stewart three to four yards on a block, and he's the running back yeah. against a stud linebacker who plays with his hair on fire. Those are, think of the little things that, you know, you take everything together. Those are the things that are going to make him a very valuable commodity for NFL teams, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's going to be somebody that, is going to be able to seal a roster spot because of his ability to do a little bit of everything. He can do special teams. He's a good pass catcher. You're going to develop as a pass blocker. And he'll be able to do that because I think that people understand Elijah Mitchell incorrectly, right? We sort of assume Elijah Mitchell, because he can use his hands out of the backfield, that he is a smaller back. And that's not the case. The guy's 218 pounds. Like, <laughs> He's he a big dude. Produce. He's a big dude. Yeah, he can he can produce as a blocker, but I think sometimes we get it twisted a little bit because of what we assume to be his, you know, uh, calling card as a running back, his ability to catch out the backfield is something that, yes, might have been underutilized at Louisiana, but it's still something that we knew about him. But it's just not, and we're using that and sort of transposing that, conflating that into an assumption about him being a smaller guy, and that's not the case. So the blocking is what he's going to have to get better at. He has the frame to do it. He'll get the coaching at the next level to do it. And in seeing him be able to show you, okay, there it is in that special teams coverage, then that's something that's automatically going to translate. If he can continue to do all of that, that's going to really help him out going into the next level. Let's briefly touch on some defensive players that kind of stood out to me. And one of them is here in the state of Louisiana, and that's Jacoby Stevens. I thought both him and Jabril Cox had good weeks. Ross, from what I see and from what I gathered, but Jacoby, and he had that great play in the red zone against Alabama's Mac Jones where he's tracking him. He takes away the option for Mac to run, and it's just one-on-one there, right? This is just a simple little seven-on-seven drill. He takes it away and forces Mac, and he's patient enough 
to force Mac to try to throw it above him, and he just simply leaps like high in there, like it's an alley oop pass, and hauls in the interception. It was one of the most athletic plays I saw while I was in Mobile. How much did Jacoby Stevens, the LSU safety linebacker hybrid, ro- you know, rover, what, however you want to refer to him as, impressed you? Yeah, he really impressed me, and I think that was one of, if not the play of practice throughout the Senior Bowl. That was just an outstanding play. And I think one of the things that really helped him, and this is one of the things about the Senior Bowl, just like we talked about with John Bates, it allows you to show the extra things you can do, the duplicity or, or the multiplicity that you can bring to the game in terms of your ability to be able to do more than one thing. And He definitely showed that as somebody that played both safety and at linebacker who made plays at both positions as well. He's got a ton of safety film in LSU, of course, but now you've gotten to see him play a little bit of weak side linebacker, a little bit of middle linebacker. Like He spent that time at the Senior Bowl showing all of the additional things that he can do, which is really, really going to help him out in his draft process. And one of the things that's kind of special about the Senior Bowl is the ability to be able to show that you have those talents at multiple positions on the field. i tell you a guy that I saw, and I went, wow, if the Saints can't sign, re-sign Marcus Williams – I'd really like them to see, sign, and draft this young man, and that's Richie Grant, the DB out of UCF. This is a ball-hawking safety. I think he can play both free and strong at the next level. He's got great hands. He's good against the run. But, damn, he just pops when he plays uh, Ross. I just I saw him, and I go, wow, if the Saints can't get Marcus Williams to come back, there's that guy <laughs> that they could possibly draft to replace him. Yeah, absolutely. He's had at least 70 tackles in the last three seasons, including 108 in 2018 from the safety position. Uh, He's got 10 career interceptions so far as well with that defense. And so when you look at what he's been able to do and put on paper in terms of his his ability, just or rather on film, in terms of his ability at UCF, seeing him at the Senior Bowl just really brought it all to light. And talk about another guy that injects energy. When he had that, we were watching during the red zone drills, he had that interception in the end zone, and the way that everyone just went wild around him, there's a lot of energy around him in that moment, but it just goes to show you how highly regarded he was amongst his teammates. And this, these are teammates that he met a week, not even a week before, right? Three, three four days. Like three or four days, that. Ross, that's it. I mean, it's, it's right. like a, you know, a biscuit is nothing. Right, exactly. And so, you know, you see him him quickly develop that relationship and quickly be able to be that, I'll even so much as say, you know, leadership presence for all of these guys to the point to where they were celebrating him like that. That's a really cool thing to see. And that's just part of those intangibles that if you don't see that, right, if you don't have a senior bowl this year to where you're able to see these guys perform in person, you don't see that part of his game. You don't see that part of his intangibles that are incredibly important his ability as a leader, his ability to rally people around him. Those moments are so incredibly important around even just the film that he put on tape because he also had a great job. He also did a great job performing on the field. But those other little ancillary moments are really, really important too. Richie Grant really stuck out to me. I'm really excited to see what he does at the next level. And the last guy that I really want to talk to you about, Ross, and that just immensely impressed me, was a young man who didn't have many offers coming out of high school only got really i think one fbs offer and that was to the two-lane green wave and i'm talking of course about cameron sample the defensive lineman he was voted the defensive lineman of the week for the practice awards he was the defensive mvp of the actual senior bowl game when you have an actual nfl staff 
game planning to double team you during practice. <laughs> That's I mean, look, we can talk about the fact that he was able to pressure uh, uh, Kellen Mon a few times and pressure Mac Jones, and it didn't matter who lined up in front of him. He was busting through there those offensive linemen, and that he was constantly. He's a great, great motor, great motor, and he can probably play defensive end or D D tackle the next level. All that's great. Mm-hmm. When actual NFL coaching staffs go, guess what? That guy. We have to double team because we can't execute our practice if we don't. That's a cat that needs to be drafted and needs to be a first day or second day draft pick, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely, man. He really, really stuck out, and he stuck out both as a pass rusher as well as in the run game. He made some nice stops in the run game as well, made some of those plays. He's only got 10.5 sacks over his time at Tulane, but. We have to remember, we have to keep into consideration what happens when a guy gets coached up by an NFL team and an NFL coaching staff. Tulane's got a great coaching staff, but when you get the opportunity to learn from some of the guys that are doing it at the highest level, that's the type of production boost that you want to see. And the fact that he was able to translate that so quickly into his game on the outside, on the interior, winning every one-on-one they put in front of him to the point where they had to dedicate that extra blocker to him, he really, really, really made himself some money. Uh, during the Senior Bowl in Mobile. I really loved watching Cam Sample, watching his motor. He would finish up a rep and then immediately sprint back to get into play. Not walk back, he would sprint back to get into place for his oh, next yeah. rep during drills. So much fun to watch. Energy that's undeniable. Uh, he was somebody that I think really, 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 like I said, made himself some money at the Senior Bowl. All right, bud. I'll flip it. I'll let you kind of run point here. We've covered a lot of guys there. Who are some other guys that we have not mentioned yet that stood out to you? Once again, you were there for the whole week of practice. Who kind of really stood out to you? Yeah, let me shout out uh, Dylan Radins, the left tackle offensive lineman from North Dakota State University. The guy has always been a borderline day one, early day two pick. I personally think that he played himself into day one conversation, played both at left tackle and at left guard, an absolute mauler. He was a lot of fun to watch. Absolute snowplow, just moving people uh, out of the way. I'll give another shout-out to an offensive lineman, David Moore, out of Grambling, another local guy coming out of an HBCU. He did a ton of favors for himself as well, playing on both the outside and on the inside. He plays really nasty like too, Ross. He plays nasty. Yeah, yeah. NFL team's going to love having him on the offensive line. Yeah, he's going to pick up the road grader. Uh, <laughs> he's going to pick up that nickname or that, that tag really, really quickly. Uh, I really enjoyed watching some of these smaller school offensive linemen get their opportunities, right? Both those guys, James Hudson was another out of Cincinnati. Um, let me shout out somebody I know you really like, defensive back DJ Daniel out of Georgia. Uh, if I remember correctly, he was one of the uh, one of the two cornerbacks, like practice player of the week cornerbacks, which of course, by the way, is voted on by opposing wide receivers. They're always voted on by the uh, peers at other parts of the position. He was somebody that we really liked because of how physical he was. He was physical, and so many, so often you see corners in particular not play physical anymore, and they play more finesse. Mm -hmm. And this cat, I mean, he's got an old school safety mentality playing corner, and he got right in guys' grills. I mean, this is practice, and I turned to you and I was like, this guy knows it's practice, right? And he did not right. give a damn, Ross. He was like, I am here to compete. Anytime you can get a guy like that, kind of like uh, he's got a little Chauncey Gardner-Johnson in him where he's intense, right? 
And that's the guy I want on my team. I may hate going up against that cat because right. him jawing at me and getting in my face and being physical with me all the time is going to annoy me. It's going to get underneath my skin. But if I can have him on my team, ooh, boy, that's that's the type of guy you want to go and be in the trenches with all the time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, no doubt about it. And then the one last guy that I'll mention, another offensive guy, we talked about a bunch of wide receivers, but I don't want to go without mentioning UAB wide receiver Austin Watkins. Oh, yeah. Uh, made some good plays for himself over the offensive side, showed that he could be a gunner as well, and showed that he could be a bit of a blocker. So he showed a lot of different elements of his game. Did anyone have their stock maybe drop or disappoint you that you were kind of looking forward to seeing in Mobile over the week? Yeah, it doesn't happen too often um, in the team because you're just looking for positive traits, right? You're looking for the things that you can work with, things that you can develop. But one guy that really maybe dropped his stock a bit and maybe didn't answer a lot of the questions that were out there about him, at least with the right answer, was Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger. Uh, just didn't really have a good week. Uh, poor decision-making, poor processing speed throughout the practice week. I know he had a pretty decent game. But in terms of what he showed during practice, you didn't really see those steps forward from him in a in a manner that's trackable, in a manner that's sort of quantifiable. And because of that, I think he might have hurt himself a little bit in terms of you know people and the questions that they might have around him. Were you impressed really by any of the quarterbacks? And do you see any of them sneaking into the first round? I think there's a world in which Mac Jones sneaks into the first round, the Alabama quarterback. He struggled on Tuesday, his first day, but then as he got a little bit more comfortable, he looked much better, accurate, precise, all the things that we know Mac Jones to be. Uh, we know that he can push the ball downfield as well. It's not like he, he lacks that ability, but he just doesn't have to do it. He just doesn't do it often, doesn't have to do it often. But when he got a little bit more comfortable with the weapons around him, you saw him really settle in and get a little bit more, uh, more efficient, and I think that that really helps him. I think that maybe he's the only one that we saw during this week that might sneak into the first round. And that kind of comes down to, hey, how much do the Carolina Panthers really like him, right? Are they willing to trade oh. back into deeper into the first round and then maybe take him deeper? You know what I mean? Is he going to be in conversation at number eight? I highly doubt that. But you know what I mean? Is there a possibility there? How much did Matt Rule really like him? So that, and then also we need to see what happens with this quarterback carousel all around the NFL and how that sort of shakes out, how desperate a team might be toward the end of the first round to grab a quarterback based on where some of these guys end up. You know, I wasn't impressed immensely by any of the quarterbacks. I thought Mac Jones looked okay. Uh, I always think it's mm -hmm. difficult in the evaluation process, Ross, especially guys that come from big-time programs. Because if you come from right. Alabama or Ohio State or back in the day Miami or Texas or USC or whoever it might be, LSU, when you play for one of those teams that's competing for national championships year in and year out, you're surrounded by the best talent in the country. You have the best offensive right. linemen. You have the best running backs. You have the best tight end, the best wide receivers. And I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of the better quarterbacks in the NFL tend to come from smaller programs or non-Power 5 traditional powerhouse programs. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, I think that it just kind of comes from, I think there's always sort of that, you know, that grit level, that maybe uh, chip on the shoulder level that maybe pushes some of these guys up there. Uh, I really think that, I mean, if you look across the expanse of college football, sometimes where players tend to go isn't based on the best talent going to the best school. Sometimes it's based on 
Where's their family located? Where mm-hmm. are they comfortable going? Where do they want to be? Where did their dad go? Where did their mom go? Like all these other elements that come in that do take very, very good players and then put them into these other programs that maybe aren't these top Power 5 programs or that do put them in those Power 5 programs. The other thing is where do they play in high school too, right? Like sometimes these high schools don't get as much exposure. They don't get as many scouts coming to their like neck of the woods and everything like that. So all those things play in, in, into all of it. So, you know, Power 5, I think, is probably the best collection of players, but certainly the best players aren't limited to those Power 5 conferences. Find something interesting. I had Brandon Olson on, who uh, we both met over the week at the Senior Bowl from Whole Nine Sports, and he said he had people come up to him and make it a point to talk about Felipe Franks, of all people. And they said they came up, and when they – it was the representation for Felipe, and the actual Senior Bowl people came up and said he is going to be drafted. He is going to impress – because he, he carries himself so well, he's going to do great in the interview process. Can a guy who was wildly inconsistent as a player, had a couple of knucklehead moments, had to transfer out to another team, could we really see Felipe Franks possibly be the second quarterback taken in the draft out of these guys from the Senior Bowl? Yeah, out of the guys in the senior bowl, it, it's completely possible that he ends up being number two. I mean, you look at him, he is the, the prototypical quarterback. Uh, and the things that you look at with him that are concerns are fixable because of the transition that's inherent going from college athletics into the NFL. There's already an expected transition there. You're not trying to fix somebody that's been in the NFL for six, seven, eight years, right, and then trying to sort of change the way that they go about it. He's young. He has incredible arm talent, so and he has mobility as well. He's very athletic. So he has a lot of these tools and a lot of these pieces that I think are going to be very attractive to NFL teams that are looking for quarterbacks in the second, third, fourth round, depending upon how, again, everything shakes out in terms of the quarterback landscape. We don't know how desperate teams are going to be to find that next guy that they're interested in that they want to try to develop. He would be a developmental prospect. He would not be one of those draft and he starts day one kind of guys. He's not going to be, you know, a Dak Prescott, right, who's drafted in the fourth round and all of a sudden is a starter immediately. That shouldn't be the plan with him. It can happen, but that shouldn't be the way that teams want to go. And I think that because of all of those pieces that he has, and now, I mean, the Senior Bowl, they reference him as a blessing to work with. Like, they loved his attitude. They loved his energy. So you look at the intangibles that are present, too. I think that maybe he's somebody that can surprise and that can sneak up and become, like you mentioned, that second guy out of the Senior Bowl class of quarterbacks because he might have had some of those issues or some of those you know moments in college. But in that transition to the NFL, some of those things are inherently fixable. And I think you can see NFL teams maybe want to rely on that based on the upside that he brings. I want to talk about two other guys that that came, and one of them is uh, Nico Collins out of Michigan, the wide receiver who opted out. He made that decision after the Big Ten canceled the season initially, and then he decided not to opt back in. And a guy that you're high on and that is you can't help but not be impressed by is Jamie Newman, the former Georgia-turned-Wake Forest quarterback who also sat out for COVID reasons this year. Neither one of those guys played. So my question to you, Ross, is this. Was it more important for them just to be there, even though they were rusty and even though neither one of them looked great? Was it just more important for them to be there, to be part of the process, to answer all those questions than it was for them to perform well? 
Yeah, I think that latter point is most important. They needed to be there to answer those questions, and they took advantage of the opportunity. They wanted to be able to look these organizations in the face and say, here's why I opted out. There are no character concerns here. There's no me bailing on my teammates. For J.B. Newman, it was a family decision. For Nico Collins, it was a family decision. Like These are guys that are very, very much driven by their family, the people around them, the people that they love, and the people that they trust. They want to be able to put that on display. And so what they did on the field is still important in terms of showing those traits that we've been talking about, but their ability to be able to sit in front of those NFL franchises and say, here's the deal, cut and dry, and deliver that information face-to-face, that was incredibly valuable for both of them. And what I liked about both of them and listening to both of them uh, being part of the interview process with both of those guys because we got them both on Thursday, remember? Because Jamie, he had his canceled because of the rain, and he actually came out. He was one of the extra guys that we got on Thursday. Was that right. neither one of them ducked the questions, right? And when they when they answered right. the question, Ross, it, they did so with confidence, and they weren't defensive, and they weren't you know on edge about it. They just said very simply, "Look, this was a family decision, and this is what my thought process right. was, and this is why I did it." And they felt at ease inside of themselves with the decision that they made. And I think that is going to go a long way, especially when they're talking with those NFL heads of personnel that are making these decisions on if this player is worth being part of their franchise. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's that's really, really important to be able to see that conviction, to be able to see that calmness, that this is what this was, and being able to explain themselves and answer those questions and their willingness to do it. All of that speaks volume to their character. All right, bud, can't let you get off of the Rap Game podcast uh, without asking you about the latest article that you published earlier this week. Of course, it features our guy Cameron Sample from Tulane, which I was excited about. It was just so coincident. I tweeted at Brian Bienemy, our guy. I was like, you need to make sure to check out Cam Sample because Ross and I are right. very high on him. And you, at the same time, published your article. It is a mock draft. <laughs> For the New Orleans Saints, sure enough, you have the one of the stars of the Senior Bowl, Mr. Sample, being drafted by the Saints. I would love to see that. Break down your thought process with your mock draft, brother. Yeah, absolutely. So the mock draft was about taking a look at Senior Bowl-only prospects that would fit for the New Orleans Saints and about where they would have to be drafted if the Saints wanted them. And so for me, this was about looking at both hey, here are positions that the Saints could be looking at. Here are guys at the senior ball that fit those roles. And here's what the class looks like in terms of where they're falling now after the senior where have they raised their stock, where have they dropped their stock. So being able to start off with Dylan Raddins in the first round was something that was really important to me because I wanted to establish sort of my, you know, really back up my claim of the idea that, like, look, this is where this guy could fall. Uh, and then, you know, with a couple of these other pieces that they were able, that I was able to add for them, Kenny Yaboa, Tylen, uh, Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma State, who was so good the first two days of practice that by day three, they said, nope, nope, no more. He's good. He's done. He's finished. He didn't practice on day three. He didn't play in the game. He did. He practiced on the first two days. And then his representation said, we're good here. And then they moved on. Uh, but being able to grab <laughs> he now, no Ross, no Ross, he wasn't the only yeah, player because yeah. I saw a lot of guys at practice or around the senior bowl on Thursday that were not there on Saturday, brother. Yeah, absolutely. He was he was not the only one, but he was one of those guys where they were just like, We're done here. 
we've done enough. And he was outstanding those first couple of days for sure. But being able to grab the two-lane edge rusher Cameron Sample with what would be the Saints' second third-round uh, third compensatory pick, they should be getting to one for Teddy Bridgewater and then another one for Terry Fontenot being hired away to Atlanta. That was a really great opportunity for me to be able to talk a little bit more about him. His frame, six foot two, two seventy four. Like being able to talk all about that, what he does, how he fits in the Saints' offense. Excuse me, defense as a guy that can play on the inside and the out. The Mario Edwards, the the you know the uh, even um, um, Marcus Davenport has that ability to play inside and out. You know, you saw them invest in undrafted free agent Malcolm Rhodes this past season who can do the same thing. Now you're talking about a guy that's in a draftable position in the middle of the draft that can have that type of versatility and that can win on the inside and on the outside. So he felt like a natural fit in terms of what Dennis Allen and Ryan Nielsen, what they like to do with these defensive linemen in the same defense. All right, bud. So with no combine or no combine as we know it, obviously the senior bowl and that week of practice and those interviews is going to hold a lot of weight. What should uh, NFL fans and Saints fans be on the lookout for now as we enter the month of February in between now and the draft? What are some of the things that we need to be paying attention to? Yeah, obviously uh, free agency as it opens up in the middle of March, that's going to kind of show you a little bit about what's left for the team to address. Teams like the New Orleans Saints, they want to get their in-house free agents. They want to keep those guys. They want to fill holes in free agency. And then they want to go best player available in the draft. And in order to maybe get a better understanding of who the best players in the draft are, it's going to come down to those local pro days at each university that are being made official. So those numbers are going to be a little bit more uh, reliable than they usually are at a pro day. Uh, you'll see a little bit more of the, the continuity there within the process. So keep an eye out for the pro day numbers as those begin later on here in just a couple of months as in place of the combine, as well as you know hearing about medical checks and things like that. All of that will start to come up a little bit more over the course of February, March, and into April. Uh, that really starts to clarify a lot of that that information in terms of what you expect once you get to the end of April and get into the draft. We know, Ross, we, we don't need to have a pro day when it comes to uh, podcast hosts and guys who kill it. You are already a first-round draft pick, my friend. Man, I appreciate that, dude. That's very <laughs> kind. I, 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 that means a lot. And that was super dope segue into that, too. That was awesome. That's, there you go. Like that was your combine right there. That's your four three forty. That's what that was. Oh, thank you, brother. And, and if if that's my combine, if that's my four three forty, we're in trouble. I just gonna be. I'm just gonna be honest with. You. If, if 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 that's the best I can bring to the table. Oh man, my I'm gonna I'm gonna be one of those practice squad players that gets cut uh, four times during the season, uh, brother. Uh, appreciate you coming on. Uh, remind people. Uh, let people know that are listening here to the Rap Game Podcast where they can check out your stuff on the daily. Yeah, absolutely. Y'all can catch me on Twitter at Ross Jackson Nola N O L A. Feel free to hit me up anytime. Uh, and you can hear the podcast Locked on Saints. New episodes every Monday through Friday. As that includes Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. It's all of them, all five days, every weekday. Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, via iTunes, Radio.com, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you are, you can catch the show. You can catch all the written work as well over at CanalStreetChronicles.com. Uh, man, it's a pleasure to be here with you, man. I appreciate you having me on. Ross, appreciate your time, man. You're one of the best in the business. Keep up the grind. Keep up the great work, brother, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. You know it, man. Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast. He's also a contributor for Canal Street Chronicles. He is a very, very busy man. He is absolutely locked into what's going on with the New Orleans Saints in the NFL, and I appreciate him joining me here to recap the Reese's Senior Bowl, a resounding success to be able to pull that off 
one of the premier NFL showcase events, practices, up close and personal interviews by NFL scouts and coaches with these soon-to-be drafted players. What an accomplishment, and it was great to be able to go and check it out in person for the first time. Amazing. That's going to do it for this episode of the Rap Game Podcast. If you want to check out any of the episodes of the Rap Game Podcast, just simply check them out at 1037thegame.com. Look for the tab Rap Game Podcast. They're all archived there for you. Plus, I'll be sharing them on the social media platforms, Facebook and Twitter as well. That's going to do it for this episode. Until next time, y'all be safe out there. Be kind to one another. I'm Raymond Parsa III, better known as RP3, and this has been the Rap Game Podcast.